Hello, and welcome to the Half-Line Templars, episode 99. I know. I know. 99 is... We keep talking, we're getting to 100, and on Thursday we'll get to 100, so that's great. I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to getting to 100. It's going to be dope. But, we had a few different things happen this weekend, and the past few days, and lots of different stories to talk about. So, without too much ado... The pomp and circumstance. Let's just dive right in. So, this is the most breaking news, and of course, this is interesting American news. So, the world's biggest meat producer, GPS, hacked an organized attack. So, the world's largest meat processor was the victim of a cyber attack that the Greeley, Colorado company called Organized, which affected its IT systems in North America and Australia. When the infiltration was detected on Sunday, which was May 30th, the company took immediate action, suspending the systems and notifying the appropriate authorities. JBS USA said in a statement on Monday, it then mobilized its global network of IT pros and third-party cybersecurity experts to fix the problem. It indicated that its backup servers were not affected by the hack. JBS is the leading processor of beef, pork, and other prepared foods in the United States, and also said it is actively working with the incident response firm to get the servers back up and running smoothly per the statement. The fix is anticipated to take time and could result in delays. The company indicated there is currently nothing indicating nothing indicating the data from consumers, suppliers, or employees was compromised in the attack. And of course, this coincides with the Colonial Pipeline hack last month, which reportedly cost the company $5 million in ransom, which it paid to the fraudsters in order to take back control of its fuel shipping system. The threat of cyber attacks has grown to the point of being an epidemic, Black Kite Chief Security Officer Bob Maley told PMTS. Which I'm not sure. I think this is some sort of like business business news source. I've never actually used it before, so but their data seems accurate, so I'm not too upset about that. But it's really painting an interesting picture, isn't it? This is of course the second cybersecurity attack that's happened in the past few months, both significantly affecting the United States. And what's Biden doing? Where is Biden? I don't think anybody actually knows. Everybody's really confused as to where the guy is coming. It's like, what are you doing? Where did you go? Like, what is causing this lack of this lack of care, this, this complacency from Biden and the American government. But this is, of course, having long-term effects. Like the Colonial Pipeline hack last month had the effect, or two months ago, I should say, had the effect of causing gas shortages and price inflations all across the country. And it affected even here in Canada too. Whereas this, as far as I know, is causing significant amount of beef and produce shortages, which will inevitably cause prices to skyrocket and levels of inflation to rise. That's not something that can be avoided, unfortunately. But why is this continuing to happen? Why is the system so prone to suffering? Why is the system, why is the, the protections and the security so lax? Why has this been allowed to happen again? 
I don't know the answers. I don't claim to have all the answers, especially in the area of cybersecurity. That's not my area of expertise by any stretch. When we had the roundtable on Saturday, I was kind of the last man out, and I'm like, I know about internet censorship and all this stuff, but I don't know that much. <laughs> but yeah, like, what are we supposed to do if this keeps happening? Are we just supposed to say, okay, well, like, we'll we'll go to the black market to buy our goods because every mainstream legal method of gaining sup supplements or food or fuel or anything that we anything else that we need for day-to-day -day living is going to be taken away is going to be at the whim of these hackers at the whim of these mobsters this is not an appropriate way to live this is not a rational way to cope with things and of course like the the other company, the oil company, paid the ransom. Should manufacturers just have like hacking insurance? Or should they just have three or four million dollars or like 10% of their company just so mm -hmm. they can pay off these, these hackers for whatever they need to so they can get manufacturing or shipping back? Is that a reasonable demand? I don't think so. I don't think most people would actually believe that that's a reasonable demand on society. That would be ridiculous. But this is becoming ever more common. And just saying, this didn't happen during Trump. This didn't happen when you actually had a, a rational and sound leader in the United States. I'm not saying Donald Trump was perfect, but he is head and shoulders. Probably head, shoulders, knees, and maybe not toes, but head and shoulders and knees better than Biden. Biden doesn't care about the American people. Biden cares about his image. He cares about how he looks, not about what he does. And if you have a president who only cares about what he does, only cares about how he looks, not about what he does, then you have a system that's on the verge of collapsing. As I've said before, like Canada has a leader, and we've had a leader for the past almost six years now, who only cares about what his public image is. And because we only have a leader that cares about his public image, our nation is on the verge of collapse. We're like this close to tumbling over the cliff, and we can never recover. Ever. Ever recover. Why would we want such a thing? Why would we accept it? I say we shouldn't. I say we should not accept that. But what are you going to do? There's not much to do. It's not like we have any power. The establishment elite has all the powers. And... All this stuff keeps happening. You know, like, no, 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 Biden's doing a great job. Biden's the most wonderful president ever. It's a return to normalcy. This is normal. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to live in a normal world. This is normal. This is terrible. But moving on, I'm going to switch stories a little bit here. So this is a story about the New Hampshire audit. Now, of course, we talked to you about the Arizona audit that happened a few months ago. Or has, that's been in the process of happening since about the start of May. And it's still ongoing. I think I've heard that they've counted about 800,000 ballots. And 
from some reports, the results out of Arizona could be crazy, but this is the audit that happened in New Hampshire that wanted to determine why there were some discrepancies. So this is from the Western Journal. New Hampshire audit identifies damning problems. Scan counts only 28% of test ballots for GOP candidates. That's interesting. Election audit in New Hampshire town in a New Hampshire town may have discovered why initial results were so far in variance from those revealed in a follow-up hand count. The audit was triggered because of what happened to Democratic State House candidate Christy St. Laurent. As of election night, she was short by 24 votes of winning one of the four seats upper grabs and window. When the recount was held, she was 420 votes short. The initial total had been overcounted by about 99 votes, according to the recount, while the Republicans who finished ahead of her were undercounted in the initial tally. The audit was to determine why the initial results were so far off. The auditors currently suspect that fold lines in the ballots being scanned fooled the machine into thinking that a candidate whose name appeared on the fold line received a vote. Something we strongly suspect at this juncture, based on various evidence, is that in some cases, fold lines are being interpreted by the scanners as valid votes said independent auditor Mark Lindemann, according to Rumor TV. Auditors tried to explain what happened in a series of tweets, noting one instance that showed a discrepancy between what was cast and what was counted, in which only 28% of the Republican votes were recorded accurately. And you can see the numbers on here, and if you want to go through this on your own, then of course the link will be in the description underneath the episode. But this is, this is sort of interesting, isn't it? Because we've, of course, been... We haven't talked a long time about election interference, about election discrepancies, about possible election fraud. But here they had an election audits in New Hampshire, a place where there wasn't too many election issues, as reported by almost anybody. And yet the machines reported hundreds or 99 ballots for this one candidate and didn't count hundreds of Republican ballots in a small town of 10,000? Well, I guess it's not a small town. Like, that's that's almost a small, like, fledgling city. But, like, that number, it went from 24 down to 420 down. Means there was a difference of 396 ballots. Some quick math, 396 divided by 10,000 is 4%. 4%. Doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't. Like 420 ballots is like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a small amount. It wouldn't change the outcome of the election. 4% can easily change the outcome of an election. Easily. Like we look at the numbers that were counted in Michigan and Georgia and Arizona and any of these other states that had serious issues, the gaps were only 20,000. 20,000 out of several million is like a fraction of 1%. So don't try and tell me that 4% is nothing. 4% is immense. And of course, if this is happening, why did every single one of those ones with the folds happen to Democrat ballots? Why did they all switch over to Democrats? Why? That doesn't make any sense. Like, were the creases purposely targeted there so there would be Republican, so there would be taking votes away from Republicans? I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point. But you have to ask these questions. Just like in the audit in Arizona, you have to ask these questions. You have to wonder why they don't want anybody to investigate Arizona. You have to wonder why 
They just want to leave it as is. You have to wonder why they're doing all of these things to try and prevent any information that goes against the like popular narrative that says the election was in the landslide for Joe Biden and that Joe Biden where there was no discrepancies and that it was the most wonderful election ever. You have to ask the question. Because we know there were massive discrepancies to the point of being potential potentially fraudulent. Why is this still up? Why is this mainstream? Why is it normal? This shouldn't be normal. This type of event should be immensely rare. You should hear about it once in a blue moon. It's like, oh, look, a dead guy voted. It's like, no, oh, look, a thousand dead people voted. What? Like, these numbers change the outcome. I have no doubt in my mind of that. And there's evidence, one evidence, one evidence of the Democrats cheating in terms of like counting the ballots and doing procedural counting after hours and when nobody was watching and did it so legally. There's plenty of evidence of this. But the problem is, is that so many people are blinded by the mainstream narrative. They're like, no, 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 this never happened. This is the most wonderful election ever. And if you question it, you're on board with the QAnons. It's like, no, the QAnons actually discredited decent Republicans who were asking rational questions. But I'm glad that they're coming with this. Like, this is not conspiracy theory. This happened. And we have to know why it happened. Why did the machines not fold as Democrats? Like, they can say, oh, it's just the name in the folds, but why? Who programmed the machine to do that? It has to be a reason. I want answers. You should, too. And it's really, really questionable. The Justice Department, the Democrats, and the modern establishment left don't want answers. They don't want investigation. They don't want audits. They want to leave everything as is under the hope that this will all get swept under the rug. But it won't. It will not get swept under the rug. It can't get swept under the rug. No rational person should sweep this under the rug. But speaking of things that definitely won't be swept under the rug, let's talk about General Michael Flynn. So... General Michael Flynn faces calls for court-martial after telling QAnon rally Myanmar-style coup should, should happen in the United States. General Michael Flynn is facing calls for a court-martial after he told a QAnon event that a Myanmar-style coup should take place in the United States following Donald Trump's election quote-unquote defeat. The National Security Advisor made their remarks at the Four God and Country Patriot Roundup Conference held in Dallas. He faces calls for a court-martial after he told the event that it should happen. So one person in the audience asked, I want to know what happened in Myanmar. Why? What happened in Myanmar can't happen here. Flynn, who was pardoned by Trump in 2020, responded, no reason. I mean, it should happen here. The retired lieutenant general pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his Russian contacts during the 2016 presidential election. Uh, some social media users were furious at footage of Flynn's, as footage of Flynn's marks emerged. One said, recall Flynn to active duty so that he can be court-martialed. This must be done as soon as possible. When called on the defense secretary to issue a court-martial. 
So, this is interesting. Do I think, like, what's happening in Myanmar? Like, the military in Myanmar took a drastic action. Do I think it should have taken it? No. Because Myanmar basically said, oh, like, there's questions of election fraud. And so because there's questions of election fraud, the military is going to have a coup with the government. And the civilians are protesting this. And I think 800 are now dead. Is it because of it? As a result? We don't want that. Nobody should want that level of destruction of havoc. What we should want, we should want accountability. We shouldn't want audits to be done around the country. If audits are not allowed to be done across the country, then other things need to happen. Because clearly, if they're not allowing audits, then they're essentially excusing to say the fact that this is allowed and this isn't. It's okay when we do it, but it's not okay when you do it. And then, like, I don't think that there should be a Myanmar Stark who, I don't think there should be a civil war. I think what needs to happen in the United States is already on the verge of happening. People have been saying that there's a civil war coming. I don't think there's a civil war coming. I think that there will be a separation. If there's not a separation, then there will be a civil war. Because right now, the ideological divide in the United States, and the ideological divide here in Canada too, is very, very deep. And very wide. And there's very little that can be done across this because of the stoked animosity and the stoked hatred that one side has accused for the other. Like, I'm not saying the right is innocent in all of this, but let's be really honest. The left is far more guilty of stoking up animosity and hatred towards the right than the right is stoking animosity and hatred towards the left. This is an undeniable reality. So what do I think should be done about it? The truth is... I don't know what to tell you. The best advice that I have for you is that the only outcome that really is desirable out of all of this would be a peaceful separation where you have part of Canada join the United States or join like the Eastern states, like the Eastern Ontario, Quebec, those Eastern provinces, including Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, BEI, New Brunswick. All of them join eastern the United States, so like all down the eastern seaboard, because they're all fairly populated areas that are filled with lefties, and then cut off around Carolina, and go down to Florida, go over to Texas, and cut off around California, and then California is kind of like Australia, it's kind of like Alaska. And then you have everything down the center, including Alberta, Saskatchewan, parts of Manitoba, parts of BC. And they will become Jesus' land. And I'm not joking about this. Because right now the ideological divide is strong. And where you find the ideological similarities are not on, on country lines. They're very much so on geographic lines. You would have much more common between a farmer in Alberta and a farmer and a rancher in Texas. Than you would a farmer in Alberta and some sort of small business owner in Toronto. Whereas that small business owner would ideologically be much more similar to a man in New York. So I don't, I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating for civil war. I'm not advocating for anything. 
I'm just saying that something needs to be done. This is getting to the point where we don't know what's left. We don't know what there is. What's left to fight for? Like, yeah, there are rights, there are freedoms that are great. That I wish Canada had, the United States has. Canada does not have any rights. It's a really terrible situation here. That's why our pastors are being imprisoned or being thrown in jail and our small businesses are being shut down. And I want those freedoms, but some people don't want those freedoms. They want the government to rule their lives. So they would be much more comfortable over in Ontario and Quebec and the Eastern Seaboard. Because you have to have a nation that's built on the ideological principle of shared values and ethics. And right now there is no shared values and ethics. When you have one side that essentially says, oh, this entire institution is racist, even though there's no evidence for that. When you have an entire ideological side that says, oh, well, like, all of that party is essentially Nazis. This is the insanity and the, this is the depth and the insanity of the cultural divide here in North America. It's, of course, very strong in Europe, too. Tensions are rising. Now, of course, if you have read your Bible, this kind of like seems eerily similar to the time that's leading up to the end of the world. Could it be? I'm not sure. I'm certainly not a biblical scholar. Could it be? For sure. I'm not giving anyone advice and telling anyone to do what to do that way. We really have to raise questions. Moving on, bit of a lighter story, but still kind of crazy. So the real story, why Twitter thinks LA Kemper is racist over a debutante crown she won in 1999. Twitter users have been quick to paint actor Ellie Kemper as racist after a never secret teenage involvement in a late society celebration in St. Louis recently resurfaced online. They've even gone so far as to call her a KKK princess. Here's the backstory. In December 1999, when she was 19, the star of The Office and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was honored by an organization with a racially exclusionary past. Some have claimed the groups had tied to the KKK. It's possible they likely did. Others, including her professor, whose writings are being used to criticize her, are baffled by the brouhaha. Neither Kemper nor her manager immediately responded to the Times' response request for a comment on Thursday. Or Tuesday. Here's what we know so far. Was she really crowned the KKK princess? Nope. Of course not. She was named the Queen of Love and Beauty at the Fair St. Louis, 105th to be given the title. The event was cancelled in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but the title was awarded through 2019. Why are they connecting it to the KKK? It was until 1992 called the Veiled Prophet Fair and a well-known celebration by some of St. Louis's wealthiest locals. It was put on by the Order of the Veiled Prophet. For generations, VP was a lily-white group, according to Thomas Spencer, a professor of history at Texas A&M who wrote the book, The St. Louis Veiled Prophet Celebration, Power on Parade. So the 2014 Atlantic article that accepted passages from Spencer's book is now being quoted in tweets condemning her, though Spencer says what Kemper was attending was essentially a debutante ball. Said VP was essential was intended to maintain the social and economic order desired by elites in the late 1870s, creating a mythology including involving hooded figure being called the Veiled Prophet, the image of the Veiled Prophet strangely resembled classic depictions of Klansmen and White Hoods. So, was this racist? No, of course not. 
only an idiot would think that it's racist. Like, I, I really enjoyed her character in The Office. I think her name was Kim or Robin or whatever. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched The Office. But she was very enjoyable. She was quirky. She was funny. And there was no evidence that she was racist. There's no evidence she's ever been racist. This is strikingly similar to the issue of The Bachelorette. Or The Bachelor, where a lady went to, like, a Southern Belle or... I forget what the exact term was, and it's a bellum party. Simply going to a party and then having a good time at the party, even though the party has no direct links to Facebook, not to Facebook, but to racism. I don't know why I said Facebook. That's not racism. That's not. Why would you believe that that's racism? Like, yes. Agencies across the world, especially in the United States and Canada, 60 years ago, there was direct ties to racism. Sure. Was there any tie to this organization to racism past the 1970s? Unlikely. If there was, it's not highly publicized. So why would you assume that somebody is racist because of an organization's past from hundreds of years prior? Or over 100 years prior? We don't accuse, at least we don't accuse many, of modern people who support organizations like Planned Parenthood of being racist because it's not openly discussed. It's not openly encouraged that they support racism. Now, their end goal, their end result, is somewhat racist because blacks are killed far more often, and minorities are killed far more often than whites. So the result is very similar to a racial cause. But to say directly that these individuals are racist is foolhardy. It's misguided. It's cancel culture. And we don't want to be involved in cancel culture. Cancel culture basically says, and as I said before, cancel culture describes a situation where people cannot change. Even if this did have some ties to racism, this was an event that happened at this point in time 22 years ago. To give us a frame of reference, at this point in time in 1999, I would have been eight, maybe seven. That's a long time ago. People's change, people's opinions change, we grow and develop as human beings, as people. We want to be open to the idea that people, even if they have negative stereotypes, negative past, negative history, they can change and become better people, better human beings. Because that shows growth. That shows maturity. But cancel culture doesn't want us to be mature and it doesn't want us to grow. It wants to attack those that they disagree with. And of course, if you're part of the protected elite class that they do agree with, then you get off scot-free no matter what. Like Ellie Kemper, if she was an active and robust leftist, they would have never come after her for this. But Ellie Kemper stays fairly quiet on a lot of these things because she's probably of the opinion that celebrities shouldn't get involved in politics that much. And that's totally fine. If you don't want to get involved in politics, you don't want to get involved in politics. I have no cause for recourse with her. No cause for action. No cause for aggression. Not aggression, but instigating that. But to the left... 
simply having an, a small connection to these sort of incidences. And if you're silent on other racial incidences, then silence is compliance. You're a racist just like anybody 150 years ago. Can we move past this foolishness? I want to live in a society where we judge people based on their current actions, their current words. Not something that they said when they were young and foolish. I wouldn't want to be judged in the words, phrases that I said when I was 16 years old. I said some pretty dumb crap when I was 16. For example, when I was 16 years old, I wanted to be a pediatric nurse. Somebody asked me why I wanted to be a pediatric nurse, and my answer was, my answer was, I like kids. I like children. And people took that in the wrong way. They're like, you like children. And I'm like, no, it's not that way. But people took it in that way, of course, they took it in a joking manner. But the sentiment is there. I would never say, oh yeah, I like kids. I like children. <laughs> Like, that's a foolish way to say things. And I wouldn't want to be judged, as I am now, as a 29-year-old, based on something I said 13 years ago when I was 16. I don't think anybody would. So can we please move past this foolishness and advance towards a better and more mm -hmm. civil society? <laughs> Talking about things that have been unearthed in the past, which are terrible, and we're going to talk about that. So, Paul's crap. Paul's to find and all Canada's indigenous unmarked graves after school discovery. First Nations groups say giving children proper burial will help families find closure following discovery of 215 bodies at Kamloops School. So, indigenous groups in Canada are calling for a nationwide search for unmarked graves at residential school sites after the discovery of the remains of more than 200 children at one former school last week shocked the country. Trudeau said on Monday that searching for more unmarked graves was an important part of discovering the truth, but did not make specific commitments. As Prime Minister, I'm appalled by the shameful policy that stole Indigenous children from their communities. Sadly, this is not an exception or an isolated incident. We're not going to hide from that. We have to acknowledge the truth. Residential schools were reality, a tragedy that existed here in our country, and we have to own up to it. Children are taken from their families, returned damaged, and are, or not returned at all. Chief Roseanne Casimir of the... Not even going to try that. No kills, right? To come up to Sequimp. Sequimp. People said last week they'd only found the remains of 215 children, some as young as three, buried on the grounds of the Cavaloops Indian Residential School, once Canada's largest such school with the help of the ground penetrating radar. <coughs> She described the discovery as an unthinkable loss that was spoken about but never documented. In meetings across the country, indigenous communities are now working to figure out the best, how best to investigate, said Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. It's absolutely essential that there was a national program to thoroughly investigate all residential school sites in regard to unmarked mass graves. So, let me go on about where these other graves might be. But, a basic, basic rendition of what the residential schools were. Between 1831 and 1996, residential school system forcibly separated more than 150,000 First Nation children from their families as part of a program to assimilate them into Canadian society. They were subject to abuse, malnutrition, and rape. 
in what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission tasked with investigating the system called cultural genocide in 2015. They are forced to convert to Christianity and not allowed to speak their native languages. Indigenous leaders have cited the legacy of abuse and isolation as the root cause of the epidemic rates of alcoholism and drug addiction on reservations. I'm going to say right now that's total BS. Total BS. Opposition NDP leader Jagmeet Singh called on Monday for an emergency debate, saying anytime we think about unmarked graves, we think about a distant country where a genocide has happened. This is not a distant country. But so this is this is of course a tragedy. I'm not going to deny that it's a tragedy. No rational person would deny that having a whole bunch of unmarked graves in your country is a devastating thing to uncover. Mm-hmm. We should want to discover the truth. We should want to have full disclosure. In the spirit of full disclosure, let's talk about some things. Let's talk about why the residential schools occur. Let's talk about what's happening in the Native communities here in Canada to this day. Let's talk about why this is an issue. I'm not talking about the genocide. And let's talk about why the residential schools existed. So, quick background on Native history here in Canada. So, Natives were here long before Upper and Lower Canada came, had some treaties with the Natives, traders got segregated into their own lands, and then eventually, in the late 1800s, the Canadian government wanted to solve the Indian problem. Because the Indians were not assimilating as a part of Canadian culture. And they're still not assimilating into a part of Canadian culture. They have their own independent culture. And I'm not sure what the joblessness and homelessness rates were, because it's a very different problem 150 years ago as it is today. But let's talk about what's going on now. Now we have, as it says, an epidemic of drug abuse, an epidemic of alcoholism. 50% of the natives today are on welfare or unemployed. This is a serious problem in modern indigenous Canadian society. And so is there a problem with trying to say, yeah, we want to heavily, heavily encourage indigenous communities and indigenous individuals from coming and assimilating into Canadian culture, into Western culture. It is not racist to say that Canadian and Western culture, or at least Western culture, Canadian culture is devolved, but Western culture is far superior than indigenous culture. That's not a racist statement, it's a statement of fact. But, it's... So, do I think that they were trying to achieve genocide? Do I think that they were trying to destroy the lives of 150,000 Indigenous people? No. What do I think they were trying to do? I think they were trying to get them to assimilate, to make them part of a modern-day culture, so that these people could leave successful, productive lives instead of being dominated by the culture which was so prevalent in their society, which even to this day is a society, is a culture where drunkenness and alcoholism and drug abuse is rampant. And you kind of just wait for your welfare payment. Wait for your pokey. 
and that has a lot to do with the reserve system here in Canada. It has no system of checks and balances. And the band chiefs are given oodles and oodles of money, and they have massive mansions, whereas the majority of people who live on living on the reserves in those bands are suffering and barely can access clean water. So was it well-intentioned? Probably. Mm -hmm. Did it end up being helpful? No. It's like the Declaration of Independence. It's like the Constitution of the United States. When it was written, it was written with good intentions. It was written with the noblest of objectives, equal rights under the law, and success and prosperity and happiness for everyone. But we know that's not what happened. We know that corrupt people take, took over the residential schools. Now, there were 150,000. I'm sure that a lot of them suffered. I'm sure that not all of them did. I'm sure that they had some individuals who were running these schools who were decent, upright human beings. There are stories from the residential schools that were like, yeah, we were taught English and we've strived and we've achieved and done great things in Western society. So to say, oh yes, like every single residential school was evil and culminated in genocide, is it's dishonest. It's intellectually dishonest. So what went wrong? Very likely very little oversight. And you shouldn't be taking away, unless the parents are ethically and morally defunct and proven negligent, you shouldn't be taking kids away from parents. You should be encouraging a situation where, in order to succeed, we have to, you have to emerge and enter into a proper Western society. That's the way to move past this. That's the way to move forward. Not mandating things, but incentivizing, encouraging. Like, right now, the Canadian government says that if you're Indigenous, or if you're Métis, or if you have status, which is Indigenous rights here in Canada, then your last year, your fourth year of university, is paid for by the government. I think that's a very good plan. It doesn't cost the government that much, unfortunately, because many, many status mm -hmm. individuals never make it to post-secondary. And that's disheartening. It's really, really depressing. But right now, we have to focus on encouraging them as much as humanly possible to get the heck off the reserves. They're unsafe, they're poorly managed, crime is rampant, and kids don't even go to school because their parents don't give a damn. So once again, this was a tragedy. 215 unmarked graves of children is a true genocidal tragedy. But let's be really honest, we found 215 kids this past weekend. And there was massive outcry and people are changing their profile pictures on Facebook and there's all this massive speeches and condolences and how Canada has evolved as a nation. But guess what? Every single year in Canada, we have 100,000 kids that die. Every single year. And no one talks about it, no one changes their profile. Very few people change their profile picture for it. It's very commonplace. It's done by about one in every four Canadian women. 
And I'm talking, of course, about abortion. Abortion is the greatest genocide that our culture has ever seen. And yet our society does it wants to sweep it under the rug. It wants to ignore it. Abortion here in Canada makes the residential school system as horrible and as awful and as evil as it was, it makes it look like a blip. And yet our society, even our Christian leaders, don't say a damn thing about it. Because they want to ignore that's happening. They want to try and avoid the fact that they're promoting this. We can't let them get away with that. There is a cultural, there is a moral, there is an ethical and religious evil that is pervading and has pervaded our country, that has pervaded the world, and we've allowed it to happen because we don't want to judge people. We don't want to look bad in other people's eyes. We don't want to lose friends or status or reputation. Well, guess what? 100,000 kids a year in Canada, 1 million kids a year in the United States, that's worth losing your reputation over. That's worth losing your job over. That's worth losing some friends over. Because if they support that evil, they're not worth it. Just as people who would support the residential school system, the residential school system as it stands or as it stood, those people are evil and they should not be supported. But just as much so, if not more, should we be saying that same exact thing for those who support the evil and the genocide and the barbarism of abortion. Let's have some accountability. Let's realize what we're doing here in Canada and what's happening all across the world and stand united, arms in arms, with brethren. Doesn't matter what race, what culture, what society, or what sex you are. We should all stand against the most pervasive, the most evil, in our society. Anyways, that's going to be the end of today's episode. If you stayed for all this insanity with switching over and having a bunch of blips, then thank you for watching. If you are following us on any of our video streaming platforms like BitChute and YouTube, you know the drill. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you're following us on Facebook or on Parlor, even though Parlor is very difficult to access these days, then like, share, and review us. If you're following us on any of our podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, whatever it may be, then of course, send us a link, send us an email. I'm fairly sure our email is listed on any of our podcast platforms. If you have any questions or want to be a co-host or want to be a guest on a future roundtable, please let us know. We would love to have people, even if you disagree with us, we want to have that kind of conversation. And um, hopefully next time in the next in the next few weeks, we'll have a couple more city council interviews. One with uh, David Pawlowski, uh, brother of Arthur Pawlowski, and the other with uh, Craig Chandler. I'm and hopefully we'll get some interviews with them, and we'll have a very enjoyable time. So, without any further ado, as you all know, here at the Half Point Hecklers, we may be blind. We can still see the truth. Great night, everybody. I'll see you Thursday. God bless.